right, it's Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast brought to you by those of us here at the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And we are uh, super duper extra tickle pink uh, this particular episode to be able to not only uh, bring more great information uh, to the hemp community and to the world of the things that we are working on, but also uh, uh, because we are, are uh, bringing you some internal uh, uh, of our own crew to the table. So when I say we've got a lot of uh, expertise here and and fantastic folks to talk about, that's because I'm bragging on our own. And so we are are glad to be joined today by our chief agronomist and uh, our our uh, in-house super duper science expert as well, uh, Dr. Uh, David Cornett. Uh, Dr. Dave, always good to have you on the podcast and we certainly enjoy you being a part of the team well thank you very much appreciate it and i'm i'm glad to be part of this team there we go and also um uh, uh one that we have grafted in to uh the the whole uh national hemp growers cooperative uh eberhard luca who is with luca consulting technology services who is our engineering uh, uh brains and arms and legs and ears and eyes and everything we have going forward us on what we're doing as it relates to creating renewable natural gas as well so eberhard thank you for joining us as well friend Thank you, Nick. Glad to be here, and uh, I can I can confirm this is very exciting, and we are we are very happy to be part of this. Well, you've got a great team, and um, uh, um, we there's just smiles and happiness all the way around. So, uh, last week, typically when we do our podcasts, um, we don't tend to talk about. Um, times and dates of things that happen because we're not sure when we record them when we're actually going to release them but this one we are getting into the mix and bumping some other ones so that we could get this information out better uh last um week we released our um executive summary from a white paper uh that we are calling industrial hemp the energy crop for a better future and this has been a lot of work by being able to put two different disciplines together under one document. Uh, one is coming from the agronomy plant sciences that uh, Dr. Dave brings to the table, and then also what Eberhard and his team bring to the table for the engineering. And I should say this is not just regular old engineers that we just pulled out of the yellow pages one day well that dates me doesn't it when i say yellow pages uh, uh whenever we get folks that but but everhart is really um <clears throat> has an international scope of his team and of his perspective particularly as it relates to different feedstocks that are be able to use be used within uh the creation of particularly as we're talking about here what would be renewable natural gas so um, we've got, uh, we want to talk a little bit about our executive summary. Uh, we want to be able to talk um, not only about the executive summary, but kind of also where we're headed with this full white paper. And so what we're uh, pleased to have released is a uh, an overview of the things that have come from the initial findings that the two of you and your teams and others have been able to put together to learn more about kind of what we do know, and then not only what we do know, but what we see that we would need to know more of, and we would like to know more of. And so let's make sure that we understand on the front end that 
the the this paper is geared around things and documents and papers and research that have already been published. Uh, I think it was over 80 research papers, right, Everhard, that that uh, your team unearthed and that Dave dug into as well? Yes, that is correct, Nick. We uh, we went in, onto the public domain and we searched for certain uh, keywords to find out what is already out there, what has been published in the past. We didn't go too far back. Um, and and we didn't we didn't uh, constrain us to any geographic re region. We collected papers from all over the world that were published over the, the past years uh, that matched our search criteria, which was around hemp as you know our key focus, and some other energy crops to to compare hemp to, which we defined as switchgrass and scanthus. Uh, we have uh, oil seed, canola oil seed, and <clears throat> we also found some some data around maize and and other energy crops that that we used to 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 benchmark hemp against. There we go. So I mean, let's make sure that people understand we are not talking about hey, here is a six month study that we undertook ourselves internal to our consortium group, and now here are the results of that. That's not what this part is. We were expecting to do those types of things in the future uh, as we learn and do more and are glad to share that as we move forward. But anytime we at least want to start with sources of things that have been published that are in the public domain, as Everhard says, and then gleaning from those the information that we need that really help us try to compare an apple to an apple or an apple to an orange so that we understand what those differences are. So it's the constant positive um, look at both the engineering side uh, uh, the, and also the plant physiology side. So talking about the plant physiology side, Dr. Dave, tell us more about when we talk about plant material, right? Um, the crops that we looked at here that we were comparing uh, for just to be able to put hemp up against just so that we could make a comparison to that. Um, what are we talking about when we talk about plant material, particularly as it relates to cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin? Why were those important things to compare? Cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin are three carbon-based compounds that the plant synthesizes during the growth process that ultimately make up the, the, the base structure of the plant, the substance of the plant. Um, in most cases, uh, the three of those combined will generally account for in excess of 90%. Um, most will go higher than that. Uh, but but to, to, to cover the vast majority of everything on Earth, uh, plants are made up, of the, the substance of plants is more than 90% cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin. They, uh, the, the, the cellulose is the structural material. Cellulose, or hemicellulose is um, more or less the glue that holds it together. And uh, uh, lignin is the strengthener, if you will. Um, wood has a much higher cellulose content than um, uh, like corn. Plant. Like, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, tomato plant or corn or something like that. 
And the, the reason is the lignin has a has different chemical properties that as you as the plant deposits more and more, it becomes more and more rigid, it becomes harder and harder. And um I will, you know, just as a to to sort of tease something out going out, um the higher the lignin content of something, the less useful it is for uh natural gas. Generally there there seems to be a a pretty good correlation with uh, the higher the cellulose content, the better the natural gas uh, production, and uh, the flip of that with with lignin. The the higher the lignin, the worse the the um, natural gas production. So let's say lignin is the thing. Let's just talk about a tomato plant as it would re- relate to let's say a hemp plant or a corn stalk. Lignin is the stuff that makes it stand up straight, right? So like a like a that's sometimes why you need um, if I'm going to grow tomatoes or I'm going to grow uh, pole beans in the back of my in my backyard. That's why I need a pole for them to climb up. I need something to, to hold that thing together where a tomato plant all on its own is not going to go straight up as much as like a, a hemp plant would or a corn stalk would or a piece of bamboo or a tree. Right. Because they're going up and that lignin is what gives us its strength to stand up on its own without any help. While while a more, plant is that kind more, of right? More or less, yeah. Um, to use your three examples, uh, a tomato plant is going to have relatively less um, lignin content than a corn stalk will, and that's going to have relatively less uh, lignin than a tree will. Right. Uh, or or let, let's add another one in there. Corn will have let relatively less than bamboo, and bamboo will have relatively less than than. Uh, than a tree. I mean, it's it's a it's a continuum. As the uh, the and under, understand one thing, just from a purely scientific standpoint, it's sure. the the lignin and the cellulose together is what makes things stand up. It's the interaction right. of the two. And so, part of our question then is, and what we're looking at is is to say, okay, we recognize that that lignin hemicellulose and cellulose are these three that make up almost 90% of kind of what is the plant matter. But we comprehend the more lignin that's in there, the less actual, um, um, uh, I'll flip this back to you, Eberhard, maybe, like this is the less kind of source. We want less of it to be able to create more gas. It doesn't mean it can't be used at all. It just means that we would rather focus in on what we would kind of um, what we would we would call the herd for the hemp plant or the inner part is much better for us because there's more cellulose there. And therefore, that would for this use of the plant, that would be able to produce better and more gas. Is it better or more or neither? Yeah. So, so <laughs> in in really general terms, um, you are correct. There's there's uh, the the rule of thumb is that uh, if you if you want to convert cellulose to uh, renewable natural gas, you have a much higher yield than on the other end if you if you convert the lignin part of the plant. Uh, in numbers, cellulose. Um, on, on average can be converted to 70% to to renewable natural gas. The hemicellulose in between is 30 to 50%, there's a range. And on the lignin side, we, we found numbers that vary between tw- 10 and 25%, where I personally believe that 25 is probably a little too high. 
it was a very favorable test that was done on that end. So I would 10 to 15% would be, would be my best guess on how much you can convert. This is assuming that there's no pre-treatment, no special pre-treatment of the plant. There are ways that engineers can improve those yields by optimizing the process and by pre-treating the plant material that will allow a faster access to the cellular material and conversion of it. And so those types, so that gives us two questions here. When we're talking about then pre-treating, let's pause that a second and back up and let's talk about what we're talking about, putting it into creating methane from that. So for those of our listeners that might be at at Nick's education level, uh, help us understand a little bit of what that means just give us a little thumbnail of what we're talking about when we're talking about using the term anaerobic digester or biodigestion. What's what are we actually doing in that process? Um, basically, what we're doing we we're putting that material into a big bubble and let it sit. It's a it's a uh, yeah we call it digester anaerobic digester in that case. It is a uh, fermentation process, if you will. We're using different types of uh, of bacteria and, and microbes. In in uh, it's I think in total six conversion steps to get from the plant material that we put in cellulose, hemicellulose, lignin, through fatty acids and other intermediate products, finally to a biogas that is about half and half of uh, methane and CO two. And so, go ahead. No. Yeah, we're capturing uh, this CO2, just by the way, so anybody thinks that we're shooting yeah. a bunch of stuff off into the yeah, atmosphere, there's, there's. nip that in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. We're not, we're not, we're yeah. not moving in that route. But yeah, we're not, we're not sending CO2 to the atmosphere. It will be captured. It can be used, cleaned up, and used, or we can even uh, continue conversion and and turn it into methane to increase the methane yield even further. Uh, with your the second part of the question, the pre-treatment in, in general terms, the obvious one is you can you can shred the material and make it smaller, mm-hmm. which gives you a lot more surface area and faster access to the plant to the cellular material for the uh, microbes and, and bacteria to to start their uh, their work. Uh, the other one would be a thermal pre-treatment, uh, shocking with steam and or just you know. Heat input to soften up the cell material so it can be uh, it can be digested easier. So all of those from an engineering standpoint, that it's it's kind of a simplistic way to say this maybe, but it depends on each system on how you design it as our engineer. We may decide that we want to do some type of pretreatment. We may not. It doesn't mean though we're putting some kind of harmful chemicals in the middle of all of it. It just means we're getting the material ready to go into the digestion process. And so, so what we're looking for is to capture those biogases. And, and, and as I like to say, if Adam gave it a name in Genesis, whenever it dies, it's given off methane, right? It's given off gas at some point in time when the decomposition takes place. So we could be talking about sources of, of feedstock, as we like to call it, could come from sewer sludge. It could come from animal waste. It could come from 
you know, a, 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 a chicken processing plant. It could come from uh, sawdust that happened at a sawmill somewhere. It could be uh, a whole bunch of palm branches that got blown, blown over in a hurricane that came through. I mean, any of these sources like this, this is all kind of biomass how that biomass gets treated, whether it does a good job in, bi in biodigestion or not, all of those are the type of things that have been looked through and studied and things that have been looked at, at, the, at, at in the public domain, as we've said, those 80-some-odd research papers that, that the team has scoured to watch and to read and to, to look over that have gotten us to the point that we understand, hey, here's why hemp is a player in this game is because it checks a whole a lot of these boxes to really be able to move forward on that. Is that, that is correct, yes. Is that a cool yeah. deal? Cool. Yeah. Right, so, Dave, let's talk a little bit about, um, let's go back and talk about some agronomy here. When we actually talk about some of these studies, some of the information that we would have liked to have seen was really more information about the planting protocols themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the information we saw came out of Europe where they are talking about plants per hectare instead of plants per acre. Uh, we don't know exactly how each one of these fields were planted because uh, they don't always give us that information. Uh, we may be learning about the energy that comes from it, but the planting component pieces and stuff. So some of these things we know, some of the things we don't know in each of these studies, but that gives us another opportunity to learn more as well, right? About right. Uh, how we would take uh, planting protocols that would be U.S. per acre planting protocols and then how that gets put into the system. That's correct. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. One of the important aspects of this is that uh, the amount of, of biological material uh, plant mass, plant material <clears throat> that you um, that you have to work with on any particular uh, unit of uh, land. Um, that way, I'll just call it unit of land, so that we don't get tied up with acres or hectares. Okay. Uh, given a specific amount of land, the amount of plant matter you have on there is going to define how much. Um, gas potential gas production potential you have um for example to go back for just a moment um if we're talking about a million plants just to pick a number a million plants per acre is the same planting density as two and a half million plants per hectare that means that the the, the number of plants um uh, in any given size that you're uh, every in any given area that you want to is going to be very very similar. Um, if you are say um, how much gas per square foot using as long as your planting density is the same that's fine. But if you're talking in one case if you're talking about a million plants per acre and um, a million plants per hectare, um, you're looking at about forty percent. Um, that uh, I won't say that you're looking at significantly less plant matter per square foot uh, in one case than you are the other. Um, it's a it's a sort of an esoteric point, but but uh, I think um, uh, Eberhard will will back me up that the planting density, knowing how much plant material we have per unit land area, is going to be very important with respect to the. Um, 
the production potential for any particular field. Yes, that, that is correct. It, 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 it plays into, into all the key uh, performance parameters that we look at in the conversion to energy, uh, the, the amount of dry mass of biomass that you can get off, as David said, any, any unit of, of area or, you know, um, is important as a basis because if, if you don't, if you don't compare apples to apples in that case, your numbers are not really comparable in terms of energy output and not even energy input uh, for, for, you know, the cultivation of the crop. So it's an important factor and we still have some research work to do to make sure that, that, the, that the numbers we use are all created on a, on a similar, if not exactly the same basis so that it, they're actually comparable. Right. And that's, and I think what's important for us to understand not only in this summary, but also in what we're doing in the full white paper is to recognize, Hey, we recognize this. Okay. We, we, we yes. fully understand that there are some factors and some data we would like to be able to true to compare those apples to apples. But until we get that true apple to apple comparison in the way that we would do it, including Dave, right, varietals, where it was grown, all kinds of other uh, uh, factors that would, would put into place. We're conscious of that. And so we're not trying to oversell or undersell, we, but we understand based off of what we have seen thus far, you know, the thing's quacking, the thing, you know, waddles, the thing's got a green head, the thing's a duck. Okay, now how much will that duck do? And what will it do? And when will it do? And where will it fly? And how many eggs will it lay? Okay, well, not if it has a green head. But I mean, you know, what would that, what would all that look like? That's why we're moving forward on the things that we're moving forward to continue to do the research on. But this is enough to get us uh, more than just enough to help us not only be excited about it, but see the potential for what this could be as it relates to that. Right. So um, let's talk. Let's talk. I'm sorry, Dave. I just want to make one more one more point. Uh, sure. This is sort of a frame of reference um, with when you're talking about hemp biomass, you you have to think about the yield, um, what a particular field will produce in a much different way. Mm. If you're talking about corn, you're talking about bushels of ears of corn per acre or hectare. Right. When you're talking about hemp, you're not talking about the um, how many seeds or how many uh, seed heads. You're talking about how much um, stock. Because in, in, in the case of, of hemp and, and especially with energy conversion as the uh, end product, <coughs> the, uh, uh, the, 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 the stuff you would normally throw away or turn or, or disc back into the, into the, uh, uh, the field, that is your yield. That is what you're going to take off and use. That's where your economic uh, payoff comes from. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, you, you have to think about it in a little different way, sure. but it's important. And that's why um, one other thing is that the, uh, the point you made about um, variety, things like that, how much, um, how much yield, uh, natural gas potential each field is going to have is going to be an interaction between uh, planting density, how much you have actually planted in the field and what variety it is, because it's it's the interaction of those two things that, that will def define 
variety A may be, may be very different in its potential than variety B, or uh, the, the planting density of the two may be different. Sure. And let's add one other point so that we make sure we're clear about that. We have no interest whatsoever, nor are we doing any taking of this very valuable seed grain at the top of the plant that we know is incredibly important for nutritional value and for food sources and the rest. We're not even we're not even talking about that. No, 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 absolutely not. We're actually talking about maybe even harvesting the plant before it gets to that. Um, uh, but but if we get it where it is a dual crop opportunity, all these things are going to depend on, on on the particular feedstocks and how we're designing the system around this. But but uh, uh, that's not a part of our mix at all about putting the seed in or the grain in. No, 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 uh, no. Um, we want to be good, sure about that. Very, very good point. One. Uh, let me verify this. Um, if you're talking about just producing for fuel, um, it makes more sense to harvest the crop a little bit early, like before it goes to flower, because you're going to have less lignin in it. You'll have mm -hmm. more cellulose and less lignin, relatively less lignin. If you let it grow to a to a dual crop, you're going to have um, more lignin, but you will also have a secondary crop that you can that you can harvest and and get paid twice for the same plants in the same field. But it will right. also it will it will have a higher lignin content, and it's its uh, fuel production potential will be less. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about what the about energy itself, right? And 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 what we talk about input and output as it relates to the amount of energy it takes to actually create the crop. Because one of the things that we are all very conscious of is the term of greenwashing, right? So we talk about all the positive things that can happen because of um, uh, uh, something being sustainable or renewable or what that is, but what does it cost us on the other end to be able to produce that if it washes out, you know, that there's, 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 um, uh, uh, a worse impact on the environment to create what you're trying to create as a sustainable piece than you haven't really created anything that great, right? I mean, what that looks like. So we're conscious of that, and we and we and we and we like all of this. Tell us what we mean, um, Eberhardt and or Dave, either one, as it relates to energy inputs and outputs, as it relates to the cultivation piece. Eberhardt, is that a Dave question or is that a is that oh. an Eberhardt question? No, I'll take that on, okay. uh, and and Dave can either back me up or or correct me if I if I got anything wrong here. So uh, that's a tricky one. It, I think the easier part is to to estimate and calculate the energy output once you have the plant and you know uh, what stages in. As Dave said, uh, for him we look at the stalks and, and maybe the leaves that are attached to it. We don't look at the flowers and, and the seeds. Uh, once you have an idea of what that composition is, you can estimate what how much energy you can get out of it. Either as total energy, uh, because we always have the option to do cogeneration of power and use the heat that comes out of the process, or if we only look at purely uh, methane yield for renewable natural gas, that's that's a parameter we can look at. Uh, we we used in the paper we used million BTUs per acre as as our uh, unit of reference we can easily convert to to uh, i don't know uh, kilojoule megajoule per hectare or whatever other unit people may want to see um, the tricky part is the input because 
we have to consider a lot of things in the life cycle of the hemp plant or any energy crop for that matter, mm -hmm. which is a lot of work and a lot of activities that go into growing the crop, including uh, use of fertilizer, watering the plant, manual labor, machinery to, to harvest, all the maintenance that goes into that, um, preparing the land, uh, all of that. And and all these, as, as you can imagine, you know, the, the time the farmer spends is measured in hours. How do you convert that um, fairly into a, a, a yield of energy or an input of energy? We still have to do to define a, 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 a good methodology to be consistent on that. So that's one of the areas also in the numbers that we found where we don't really know how they came up with that and what is all included or not, but we have to include everything. And to be fair and to, to get to your point, yeah, we will have to do a really rigorous energy balance from start to be, uh, from start to end, mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, planting the seeds to the end where we get the, the, the renewable natural gas and, and send it to our consumers. But we will also have to look at the CO2 balance, and, you know, to see, you know, carbon balance, to be more precise, to make sure that, that what we do is sustainable and that it actually makes sense in all aspects of, of the process. And, and, and so our look at that then <clears throat> is that based off of the research that was done, it doesn't mean the kind of research we may or the way we may actually do the energy. We may do some different regenerative agricultural practices that would be totally different than that. We're not even suggesting that this is the right way to harvest. Okay, We're just saying the info of what we saw and based off of what we did had us uh, tell us about the acre uh, the, the number of BTUs per acre of energy input for hemp was about how much? Wasn't that about okay, 44, uh, so on, No, so on the, on the uh, input side, for hemp, it was uh, for, for the agricultural part, 34 million BTU per acre, more or less. And then we added around 11 million BTU, that's the energy input for the anaerobic digestion to get, and the cleanup, if you will, to get to the gotcha. to RNG production. Uh, so that is compared to other numbers we found uh, for maize or for the beets, it's, it's a little bit on the high side, which uh, should not be discouraging because when we look at the energy output side, that's where, where it is the strength of hemp as energy crop becomes apparent. So we're talking about, let's just round it up, okay, um, and, and, and call it roughly 45 million yes. BTUs per acre. Per acre. On, per acre, not only on the, on, the, on the planting harvesting, as well as the energy it takes in the biodigestion, anaerobic digestion process to create the to create the gas. Okay, Correct. so if that's what ours are, then the other crops that we compared, canola seed, oil seed, uh, maize, corn, whichever way you might like to be able to call it, and fodder beets, F O D D E R, fodder beets. For those who may not be familiar with fodder beets, they are they are get big, high, smiley faces as it relates to cellulose and content and other to be able to create energy. They tend to go between about, and I'm rounding the numbers, about 27 million to about 31 million BTUs per acre. So hemp is higher than that, okay? But that's just 
we we don't we've only looked at half the picture right we exactly. gotta look at the other yeah. half of the picture was how much energy are we creating net out on the back end of that right and so what that did we correct. find out from that so we found out that on averaging the numbers from hemp we can get a total energy yield of about 208 million BTUs per acre and that's a really good number because uh competing energy crops range between 68 and and close to 200 but not over 200 and so if we look at that um that's the total energy yield i said that that includes anything you know taking advantage of the heat that's created recovering the heat and also do uh, co-generation of power for example with waste heat and all that so if we look at, at the pure methane yield from the crop, we are looking at 82 million BTU per acre for hemp. And other crops are as low as 26 million BTU per acre or 56. The only one that's actually uh, better than hemp would be maize. But um, that was just one number for methane yield. We didn't get anything on, on total energy uh, confirmed. Um, we have a number, but as, as I said, we don't know if that used the same basis that we use. So sure. I'm a little careful in, in using it. It was it was below 200. Well, it seems like there's a couple of things here. One is I, I think the idea that it is 45 million BTU input for help compared to 207 output million, uh, uh, 207 million BTU output for him as compared to corn <clears throat> would be somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, let's just call it 27, 28 on input, but on the output, it only got up to about 87. So hemp really kicks it even more on the output side. I mean, when you're yes. comparing a crop like that that most would be thinking about as it relates to those pieces. So, That's I mean, correct. the other thing that I think is real clear for, let's make sure we're, we're understanding the terms here for, for those of us like me that are liberal arts majors and might be a little slow on the uptake. Um, we're talking about total energy created per acre is not the same thing as total amount of methane derived per acre which is the methane that we need to be able to go and create renewable natural gas. So we're looking at both of these. We're while we're focused on renewable natural gas right now because we are uh, we have letters of intent to purchase renewable natural gas. We've got more letters of intent uh, per, to even produce even more renewable natural gas in our own internal sales pipeline. Uh, uh, we're excited, and that be, is the one that we're excited about because that's what we're working with right now. That doesn't preclude us from being able to think about other energy and other ways that we might be able to use hemp besides going through an anaerobic digestion process to create methane. Is that, I mean, that's what we're finding here because there's yes. opportunities for that. Yeah. If you only look at the methane yield number, that ignores the fact that you're producing uh, almost the same amount or same volume of CO2 and you're producing a lot of heat. So you're ignoring all of that, which we will not do, of course. <laughs> we will we will take advantage of that. We will use the waste heat in the process and 
as I said, we have we have uh, options, technical options to also use the CO2. For example, if we would uh, add, I don't know, we said 10 to 11 million BTU for the digestion input, let's add another five or six million BTU input there to convert CO2, we may be able to almost double the methane yield by converting the CO2 to methane. Uh, that's an option that we have, so that, that would make the picture even look better. But again, there's, we have to stay in, 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 a, in a scheme where we can still compare the numbers that we found. So we did not consider that. Right. Well, and, and you know, I tell you, that's the other thing that we're glad to be working with you and your team, Everhard, is because you come into this um, without any prejudices about any particular, oh, it's got to be this particular version or type of digester, or we got to put this kind of unit together, or we got to use an XYZ machine instead of an ABC machine. You're able to look at it and say, all right, what are we trying to create? What are we selling on the back end? What is what is the product we're creating? And then, then looking towards the front end to say, no, what are the different feedstocks that we're going to be able to use? We know hemp is always going to be one of those feedstocks, but it may very well be other feedstocks based off the location of where that facility is, right? And so you being able to go back and step back and say, okay, well, we're going to adjust and move the knobs and the whistles and the bells and the rest of this stuff to make it work that way because the energy balance says certain certain inputs, certain, bio, certain feedstocks are going to produce a difference amount of, of gas and methane and, and the process. So we've got to dial all this in created in the right way and it gives us flexibility it's what i love about it is is not only does it give us flexibility <clears throat> and working with you for you to be able to design something that fits around what that particular unit is located but it gives us flexibility because we can go through different places throughout the u.s or wherever it may be, uh, that we want to put in one of these facilities that we can say, well, we're not just married to X, you know, feedstock. This has got to be, you know, cow manure and only cow manure. Well, there may be cow manure and something that we put together, but we're not held to that. Other groups and other, other equipment and other technologies are kind of focused in, aren't they, on some particular feedstock where they tend to kind of hunker down as that, that's their space. That's correct, yeah. Our process will be flexible. And as you rightfully said, we will look at each project separately and see where the location is, what other feedstocks may be available there to supplement the, the hemp uh, as, as uh, you know, co-digestion feed, co feedstock. And by that, we will be able to maximize the output of that facility. Right. Well, I, I tell you the thing that we're really excited about from the co-op's perspective is, number one, this gives a great amount of revenue potential to our members, whether they are supplying the hemp for that particular facility or not, because of the way that we've got our unique co-op model set up. So that's something positive when we talk about the amount of revenue. Uh, but we're also talking about even more opportunities then for our growers to grow, not only for, for renewable natural gas, but also for things that we're currently doing in textiles and construction material and bioplastics. It, it just gives us an opportunity to keep things going. And we haven't even mentioned as the above and beyond uh, opportunity is what we're also able to get because of the CO2 capture uh, from the plant material itself, right? That that not 
only are we are sequestering carbon out of the air as we are, are growing our, our hemp plants, but we're also doing soil remediation at the same time. And as our friends in Louisiana would say, that's a lanyard. Okay, that's extra. That's the that's the that's the cherry and the and the whipped cream on top of the sundae. That's even more uh, opportunity for not only for the environment, but also is revenue and building wealth for our members, which is what we're all a part of. So we're excited about it, um, uh, about what we're doing. Any closing thoughts as we kind of move on from here, Everhard or, or Dave? No, other just to yeah, Dave, just to. Um... I, I, I was listening to you and, and Everhart going back and forth, and I'm afraid that uh, some of, to use your phrase, some mm. of our liberal arts types are maybe a little confused. Um, maybe a simpler way to look at this as, is as um, a simple cost-benefit analysis, where yep. the uh, where the balances are, uh, or the 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 costs, as it were are measured in energy inputs and outputs instead of uh cash and yep. money at dollars go. and cents um how much how much energy does it take to put a put a crop in the ground how much does it take to grow it how much does it take to digest it is your complete is your input but how much energy are you going to get back on the back end and some of these uh that you were talking about where um or your your uh your 45 million inputs um and getting 208 back is roughly a, a four and a half to one exchange which is pretty good i mean uh i don't know too many people that wouldn't uh that would turn down a, a situation where they get four and a half dollars back for every dollar that they put right. in right exactly. i mean it's a, it's a, it's it's a little oversimplifying but i think maybe it it uh it illustrates the point in a little more um liberal arts uh, uh friendly context hey you can use the term and for all our listeners for y'all to know internal to us at the co-op we call information like that nicking down the info okay making it so if nick <laughs> can understand it uh, uh it's a lot uh, uh uh, we know that we've achieved something. And so I am not embarrassed at all to be able to say that that, that that's that's the way we think through things. Um, that's terrific. Everhard, any closing comment or thought about uh, the paper itself and where we're headed and what we're doing? Yeah, as just to confirm that, you know, we will we will summarize all the all the findings, all the information uh, that we extracted from the publications. And, and also you had mentioned that we, we, uh, we used, uh, gap analysis to identify information that we need that is still missing or where we are not sure if, if it uses the right basis. And we have to confirm to develop a roadmap, uh, that, you know, will describe the work ahead of us for the next, uh, six, 12 months. Yeah. Whatever it might be. Right. It's, right. it's, uh, it's, it's a work in progress. We will always seek to to improve. We are open to feedback from the outside. If people have good information that they are willing to share with us, we are open to receive it and discuss it. And uh, anything we can do to to improve our message and to optimize our process, we'll we'll gladly receive. There we go. It's not every day, Dave, is it, that we hear an engineer say, "I may not have all the information." <laughs> <laughs> 
Let, let me learn more. That's uh, There's a lot to be said for that. So thank you for that. Hey, look, if Agreed. folks would like to have a copy of the executive summary, uh, you can email us at contact at nationalhelpcoop.us. This will be in the show notes that you can you can look in the in the notes here. Go back to our website at nationalhempcoop.us and you'd be able to see the address there. We'll be glad to send you a copy of this executive summary. And when the full white paper gets done, we'll be glad to share that with you as well. Um, uh, to learn more about Everhard's group at um, Luca Consulting Technology Services, you can look at their website, which is Luca, L-U-C-K-E, Consulting. Dot com, and you can get in contact with them to learn more about the good work that they are doing. There is room at the table for others who would like to participate in what we're doing, and not just the LOIs that we are moving towards developing right now, but other ones that we have in our funnel. The opportunity uh, for creation of renewable natural gas uh, is extraordinary, and, and the demand for it is far out uh, uh, pacing the supply. So to know that that we don't have to wait for a landfill to fill up before we start producing natural gas and we can start putting uh, seeds in the ground to start being able to be comparable for that gives us a lot of uh, a lot of uh, opportunity and a lot of a lot of interest. So, gentlemen, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, please uh, let folks uh, come back uh, again and listen uh, to uh, another guest we'll have next week. Thanks. Pleasure. See you all later. Bye bye. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.